0: Reserve Bank puts profits before people. Information wars exposed. And the good news is about grass. This is The Week on Wednesday. Hello, and welcome to The Week on Wednesday. I am your co host, Ben Davison. And I am joined, as ever, by the great, the glorious, the best-selling author of QAnon and On, A Short and Shocking History of Internet Conspiracy Cults, and proud product of the public school system, my wife and your friend, Van Batham. How are you today, Van?
1: Oh, I got jammed in a turnstile at Southern Cross Railway Station. I've got to say, Ben, it was not a pleasant experience. I got the pinch. The I got the pinch. big pinch.
0: A big pinch. I'm sure we'll get lots of messages from people saying public transport should be public and it should be free.
1: Well, public transport is great. As you well know, I'm a lightning eye zealot for all things public, but I've got to say getting jammed in a turnstile was not on the top 10 list of things I needed to happen to me today, and I am very sore.
0: Well, hopefully you will recover and uh, there is Panadol and coffee in, in the near future. <laughs> Of course, also in the near future is you and I will be in
1: Adelaide. Oh, my God, we so will. We start next week. Next week. Four appearances over the four weeks. So here are the dates, friends. February twenty second, March first, March eighth, and March fifteenth. So we're doing these four um, evening recordings of the week on Wednesday. They start at five. We're in the yurt. All the details are in the Adelaide Fringe program, which is of course online. Just look up Adelaide Fringe, Baddam, the week on Wednesday. Ben Davison is a spunk. You know whatever you need. Mind you, anybody else says Ben Davison is a spunk, they are dead. Just so you know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And of course. For our supporters through our buymeacoffee.com slash week on Wednesday page, we will be sending out additional uh, an additional code to help people get a ticket and come along and, you know, partake of the fun in the yurt.
1: Yes, the yurt should be quite – it is actually a yurt, like it is a Mongolian tent, and given the fact Ben and I play rather a lot of Ghost of Tsushima, it's quite on brand for us. But there are group discount codes. It's all on the Fringe website. If you're going to be in Adelaide for festival time or if you are blessed to live in Adelaide, which is, of course, one of my – favourite cities. It would be awesome. And if you want me to sign your copy of QAnon and On, on, A Short and Shocking History of Internet Conspiracy Cult, bring it along and I will sign
0: it. While we're starting the show with shout outs, I want to give a shout out to the AMW. This is the Australian Manufacturing Workers Union, the Victorian branch. Uh, People who listen to the weekend rap will have heard me talk about the Visi dispute in Shepparton. Uh, The AMW Victoria does have a fundraiser. They are... Uh, raising funds for uh, the workers who have had to take industrial action. Visi, of course, is one of Australia's largest and most profitable private corporations run by one of Australia's richest men. Uh, and, of course, unsurprisingly, Van, Visi have offered the workers at Shepparton, many of whom have decades of loyally, uh, loyalty to the company, a real terms pay cut and, of course, a big shout out to all the union members who listen to The Week on Wednesday. If you're not already a member of your union, you can join at australianunions.org.au slash wow, that's W-O-W. Because let me tell you, when you are faced with a billionaire and his private global corporation trying to cut your wages, you want the solidarity and strength not just of your immediate workplace colleagues, but the broader union movement. And that's why... We like to give shout-outs when there are actions going on. If you and your workmates are taking action, do get in contact with us and let us know because touch one, touch all, the Workers United
1: will never never be be defeated. defeated. Oh, we've chanted that sometimes, haven't we? (laughs) And have we been defeated? No, we haven't. Not yet. Ha, 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 ha,
0: ha. Speaking of defeated, uh, today the Reserve Bank Governor, Phil Lowe, gave testimony... To a Senate hearing about his, well, fundamentally about his poor performance and about his defeatist attitude towards the Australian economy, Van. It was pretty, pretty startling stuff.
1: Now, you have been following this quite closely because you are that kind of nerd. Uh, we're obviously in a situation where interest rates keep going up, and we're being told that this is how we fight inflation. Explain to us why the Phillips Curve is not a real
0: thing. <laughs> Phillips Curve is not a real thing. What we should always remember about economics is that there is nothing natural or innate about economics. It is all theoretical and, and based on graphs and charts. Graphs. And graphs. Graphs. I went to state
1: school. I used the word graph.
0: So the Phillips Curve is essentially a graph which purports, to represent the relationship between wages and employment or inflation and employment. And of course, what it is, is it's a graph that was <laughs> created in 1958 uh, by a guy, a guy, they're usually a guy. They're usually guys. Whose last name was. explains a lot, doesn't it? Whose last name was Phillips. Uh, and of course, this was used as a basis in the 1970s, some almost 20 years after he came up with this concept to justify getting rid of full employment policy. And of course, Van, you've talked about full employment policy before and the history of that in Australia. I'm happy to talk
1: about full employment policy anytime.
0: But of course, where we are now is a situation where interest rates are going up, because that's the tool that the Phillips curve suggests reserve banks, central banks, depending on where you are in the world, that's what they're called, should use... To reduce inflation, because doing that will lead to a reduce in demand, which will mean people get laid off, so there'll be more unemployment, which will further reduce demand, which means prices will drop. This is the theory. That's a very hotted history of it. Yeah,
1: th- and this is what neoliberals believe fundamentally. They believe. fundamentally believe this that unless you have people uh, competing against one another to drive down their wages. Um, rather than be unemployed. You make unemployment so hellish that people will not join unions, not make wage demands, not demand better conditions because they're terrified of being unemployed, and that's what you use to take heat out of the economy. So if people are terrified of making wage demands, that means they're not spending as much as they probably deserve to spend and therefore demand slows and things aren't as expensive. It's worth reminding everybody that the people who really hate inflation are people who have saved their money up. Absolutely. Like rich people hate inflation. If you're a working person and your wages are keeping pace with inflation, well, inflation doesn't really affect you because if your wages are keeping pace, it means that everything is proportionately correct. But why do rich people hate inflation, Ben?
0: Inflation erodes capital, right? Fundamentally, when there is inflation, you start to run the risk of what's called a capital recession and so Governor Phil Lowe who is the head of the Reserve Bank has called uh, inflation dangerous corrosive he then Says that it hurts people and it damages income inequality. Mm,
1: of course, rich people's money is worth less. That's basically the punchline to this story: is inflation means rich people's money that they have hoarded away in those mysterious caves of gold, that the ca- their caves of gold are, are worth less because the outside world is
0: spending more on stuff. Someone ironically Phil Lowe today also said that it leads to. Did he mention caves of gold? No, no, he, d- he didn't. But he did say it leads. To higher interest rates and more unemployment, which is interesting, <laughs> right? Because he's the guy who determines the rate of interest, and he has openly said that unemployment should rise to 4.5%. Now,
1: so inflation is bad because it causes unemployment so what we should do is have more unemployment that's brilliant philip fantastic what an absolute masterclass in male neoliberal logic that is
0: it's a really circular argument right because <laughs> and there's no and there's no gaps in it because it's so because it's nonsense it's like cohesive nonsense it's cohesive nonsense it is it is creating it's like when I, I mean, I did, I think one or two units of philosophy at university. And I remember the philosophy lecturer putting a mathematical equation on the board. And at the start of the first lecture said, this mathematical equation proves the existence of God. And by the end of the first lecture, they said, and by the way, this mathematical equation also proves that God doesn't exist. And that's the beauty of the neoliberal logic, right? Is that you can self-perpetuated because Philip Lowe is in charge of the interest rates that putting putting them up will cause the unemployment that he says will go up if we don't get inflation under control.
1: He's in charge of the interest rates and yet he's also a hapless pawn of the interest rates. It's amazing. It's
0: really how quite can amazing. you live
1: in so many realities? Clearly because you're actually an algorithm in a first-year philosophy tutorial. Fantastic Philip, what a legacy.
0: And that's really the the You know, that's the kind of theoretical nonsense piece, right? Like the reality of what this means is that there are 800,000 people in Australia, 800,000 mortgages, right, which is probably more than 800,000 people. It's probably more like 1.6. 800,000 households. 800,000 households. You're talking about almost 2 million people, who are going to fall off what they're calling the fixed-rate cliff. These are people who had fixed-rate home loans when interest rates were low. Now they're going to have much, much higher interest rates in the course of the next couple of months. Phil Lowe doesn't really see this as a problem. Uh, He basically says... Unlike the
1: families who live in those houses with those mortgages, who I think probably think the problem is quite large.
0: And, in fact, the problem may be as large as over $1,000 a month extra mortgage repayment for these people. Now, people go, oh, well, I'm a renter. It doesn't affect me. Of course it affects you. Of course. These things will flow on. Wealth doesn't trickle down, but greed certainly does. And if you're a renter, you can guarantee you're going to be paying more. And I want to make this point too. At the same time as Phil Lowe is giving this testimony to the Australian Senate led by the Albanese Labor government, who is desperately trying to get inflation under control because Phil Lowe, by his own admission, when you get under the headlines and into the details, 80% of the inflationary causes are supply side. That is, Global supply chains, lack of domestic production, uh, the need to have greater skills uh, and better training. So, all the things that liberals let wither on the vine for a decade and that, yes, COVID impacted a little bit. And yes, Ukraine impacted a little bit too. But when you build those things up, you can weather those storms better.
1: Let's just, let's get this really simple. Okay. So, so the pl- supply side of the economic equation is the people who make things making things that's what the supply side is it's making
0: things it's it's raw materials it's it's
1: or making things or digging up things
0: digging up things it's the the ability to transact to move things around infrastructure. It's the things. Though. It's the things.
1: All right. So if it's a supply side problem, it means that there's the price not enough of, of the things. There's not enough of the things. Now there might be enough enough of the things for a number of reasons. One, you don't have enough staff to make the things. That's a And this has been happening in the United States, where people, in their experience of the pandemic were literally, you can take this job and shove it. I am not working for you. I am not working for you with these terrible conditions. I'm not working for you for this low amount of money. And so there have been Mm. staff shortages in the making of things because conditions were bad and people refused
0: to work in them. And, of course, China was in lockdown for a very long time and China makes a lot of the world's things. They make a lot of things. There was an energy crisis. Because
1: real unions are illegal and corporations working in China because they don't have to respect labour or human rights.
0: And, of course, in Europe, we've had the war in Ukraine and a potential energy crisis. By the way, energy crisis, which has been managed and dealt with and Europe, is on a growth trajectory and growing, has avoided recession and is growing. And, by the way, in Australia, we're only exposed to those things because of the policies of former governments opening us up to global energy markets. We produce more than enough of the energy we need here to, to fuel our own production. But, you anyway, know, 80% of this uh, inflation problem is not to do with demand. It's not to do with wages going up. In fact, wages are not keeping pace. As we just discussed, AMW workers are being offered real terms pay cuts. That's happening across the economy. ABC workers who have been offered a, essentially a real-term pay cut as well. Krimik Swain's gone absolutely bonkers about how dare they be offered 5% over the course of three years or something like that? You can go as bonkers as you like, Prue, because no one cares. And it's a real pay cut anyway. At the same time, all of this is happening, right? And the and open price gouging. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Price gouging. I just, I really want to mention the price gouging. Well, let's get into the price gouging because the price gouging, the Commonwealth Bank has recorded a record half year profit of 5.15% billion dollars. That sounds like a lot of money, Ben. Well, not only is it a lot of money, because it is, it's a huge amount of money, let's be clear. I
1: mean, it's not the amount of money that you would say use to buy Twitter, but it's still a lot.
0: <laughs> it's still a lot of money. Uh, it's 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 almost as much money as the gap in uh, public school funding in this country that the Commonwealth has failed to fill. <laughs> uh,
1: that's not the dog, by the way. <laughs> but he's definitely me. But it is a it is
0: a huge amount. Of, it is a, it is a big it is a big amount of profit. And not only is it a big amount, it's also an increase of 9%. That's so, a lot. Well, given inflation is apparently a problem when it's running at, say, 6 or 7%, and we have to be careful about a, quote, unquote, wage price spiral. Oh, I've
1: got to watch those wage price spirals, When, ben. when... I mean, families might be able to feed themselves, well, go on holiday, enjoy leisure time. Good Lord.
0: Well, Phil keeps talking up... This danger of a wage price spiral when wages are going up by about 3%. (gasps) Profits are up nine. That's three times the rate. Like, forget about even 300%. Yeah. Forget about even the raw number. We're talking about three times the rate of growth of profit for one of Australia's biggest banks as sort of the average wage increase. Fundamentally, the Albanese Labor government is working incredibly hard on the supply side, looking at what it can do around the cost of childcare, looking at what it can do around the cost of housing, trying to lift wages. At the same time, you've got these profiteers taking huge amounts of money, and let's be really clear, you might go, well, maybe, maybe Commonwealth Bank's going to use that money to, you know, like employ more people or pay people more money. Right?
1: Yeah, because that always happens. Actually, that never happens. No, that never happens. That never happens unless people join unions and there's mass industrial action.
0: Well, let me tell you what they're actually doing with the money. Because Um, what they're actually doing um, with the money. This is going to make me upset, isn't it? Well, it's inflationary, right? Because if the idea, if Phil Lowe's problem is that there's too much money in the economy, right? Then anytime somebody puts a large amount of money into the economy, just into the hands of ordinary people, however that might be, whether that's through institutional investors or through retail investors, however it is, or if it's in wages, of course, wages is the one they really don't like. What the Commonwealth Bank is going to do is it's going to hand out dividends. They're going to increase their dividends by 20%. To shareholders. To shareholders. So shareholders are just going to get more money. So shareholders are going to get more money. Now, of course, there are some retirees who, you know, rely on dividends and good on them and we support them being able to live. Of course we do. And a universal pension system underpins the superannuation system which gives people a comfortable standard of living as opposed to just a basic standard of living. Dignity and freedom well, in retirement. Absolutely. But let's be really clear here. The majority of people who will benefit from the 20% increase in dividends.
1: Uh, can I guess? Can I guess? Are they already rich capitalist scumbags?
0: They will be mostly rich capitalist scumbags. Now, this is the fundamental problem of Phil Lowe's testimony today, that yes, inflation can be bad. But he says, and I quote, it is important in the long term to have strong banks that are turning a profit even though it may be hard to hear for people in the grips of skyrocketing mortgage repayments.
1: Oh, well, I mean, what we've really got to, you know, prioritise is dividends for the shareholders of banks. I mean, I'm so glad that we're gearing the entire economy. I mean, this is the thing about economics. This is what I find so frustrating. Our friend Richard Dennis has a really great book called The Connor Babble, which I certainly recommend fans of this show get a copy of because Richard just explains how essentially a bunch of white men who are rich and went to private school sit around and, you know, use this jargonese about the economy to justify their own priorities and preferences. And that's really what a lot of discussion about economics is about. Economics fundamentally is about the assignation of resources to people and construction, really. That's that's what it is. And it shouldn't be difficult. Anybody who's trying to bamboozle you with the weasel words of Philip blow is someone who wants you to be a loser in an economy which benefits them and the interests they serve.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, the economy, the economy is not a real thing. The market is not a real thing. These are constructs, these are labels given to the... Fancy stories. Yeah, the aggregation of the interactions we all have every day with each other. That's what they are. And this idea that for... for, For a problem that is caused by a lack of supply of goods and services, working people have to pay, not just pay more in their mortgages, but pay more profits to banks and pay more profits to large corporations at the expense of their own wages is literally just ideology. It is ideology and it is impacting millions of Australians. Inflation in this country was not caused by working people, and they should not have to bear the cost of it. Inflation in this country was caused by a combination of poor Liberal Party policy, profiteering, and more profiteering.
1: (laughs) Profiteering, more profiteering, and the profiteering that comes after that.
0: That's right. So if we want to address inflation in this country, we have to support good public policy that improves supply and reduces costs of things like housing, early childhood education, improves educational outcomes, improves skills, improves the amount of products and services we build and deliver here.
1: Build shared amenity.
0: Build shared amenity. I
1: love shared amenity. What's shared amenity, Ben?
0: It's an amenity that we all share. (laughs) I mean, these are- Parks, roads, schools, healthcare. These are all things that we all benefit from. And we should actually be supporting- the, the policies that take money from profit and put it into the hands of working people.
1: I just want to be very clear about a, a particular piece of jargon, which should always be a woo-woo-woo alarm, and that is the term red tape. When any politician talks about cutting red tape, what they're talking about is removing regulations from the economy because the thing is capitalism has no conscience, my well, capital interests are just about building profit if you work for a a capitalist company corporation it's about maximizing how much profit you can make. Mm. And it doesn't matter if, you know, people are exploited or made poor or the environment is poisoned or a train blows up in Ohio or people die, right? Capitalism doesn't care if people die. Capitalism Mm. didn't care about slavery. In fact, it found it quite handy Mm. at a point where it was, uh, what was that, developing new markets in the new world. And, in fact, we should
0: remember too, right, that all of those things, like the abolition of slavery, was fought against by the interests of capital. You know, the the formation of trade unions was fought against by the interest of capital. It used to be illegal to be in a trade union.
1: Yes, illegal you know, of workers forming combination. If there
0: are very, very wealthy people who say to people who are struggling to pay their bills, that a policy is a bad idea, it probably means it's a good idea for the majority of people and a bad idea for wealthy people. And that's what it fundamentally boils down to.
1: Capitalism does not impose morality on itself. That's what government does, right? That And anybody who says, oh, we want to cut red tape, is someone arguing to remove that imposition of morality by government on capitalist
0: activity. Absolutely. Absolutely. And look, the, the reality is just so stark at the moment because so many people are now really feeling it. And, of course, you know, Phil Loewis, oh, well, Australians have built up all these savings and all the rest of it, you know, and globally, compared to globally, we've got all these savings and all this. all these things are going to be used to try and justify greed. There's no question about that. But ultimately, the Australian public has to use the levers of democracy. I love those levers. Love them. To to control, to rein in and to direct capitalism because otherwise capitalism will simply feed on the people. That's what it does. Like a cordyceps. Like a cordyceps. Last of Us reference. Love it. (laughs) Absolutely love it. So, Van, talking about feasting off the people, and abusing democracy for their own gains. Of course, capitalism comes in many different forms. It's not all just banks or billionaire cardboard magnates. There are people who are literally, literally trying to pervert the course of democracy and doing it for profit. Now, you're an expert in this field, so... I mean, the story that you've uh, you know been reading today. I think the Guardian's had a a big piece.
1: Yeah, so the Guardian's got a scoop.
0: It's pretty amazing stuff.
1: It is amazing, and I do want to talk. I want to talk about it because obviously, I did a radio interview. I I have a slot on ABC Statewide with Nicole Chavastic. Big shout out to Nicole, who's just superb journalist. She has me on every two weeks to talk about stuff. And yesterday we were talking about the rabbit hole and we were talking about QAnon and we were talking about disinformation and we talk about it a lot because it is such a large part of people's lives. It is very hard to find somebody who doesn't have a loved one who's swept up in internet conspiracy cults, or you know, strange political campaigning, or is believing stuff that they read on the in, on the internet that the people who care about them think is dangerous. But I want to be very clear that we are all very vulnerable to internet disinformation, and this story that the Guardian has broken today illustrates why. They've rumbled a disinformation operation known as Team Jorge and Jorge, aka George is actually this guy uh, who's a disinformation operative who runs a commercial company. His name is Tal Hanan. They have him on video um, thinking that he's speaking to people who are going to buy his services, and he's essentially a disinformation broker. and controls this extraordinary network of automated accounts that are made to look like people. And these automated accounts not only exist on Twitter and Facebook and TikTok and Telegram and Instagram and everywhere else, they have Bitcoin accounts and they have Amazon uh, presences And they have what seem to be photographs of themselves. And credit cards. And credit cards and very detailed digital histories. So if you were to encounter them and you could, if you were snooping and snooping a bit of a level deeper, you would think they were real people. And they are not. Yeah. In fact, they are an organised bot disinformation presence that for the right price, our friend Jorge will deploy in campaigns to destroy your opponents. That's actually what he specialises in.
0: I mean, this this just blew my mind. So the as I read the story, it just got more and more wild, right? So journalists from 30... Uh, 30 outlets, including the Guardian, Le Monde, Despigle, El, pa- uh, uh, El, El Pace.
1: These are the great newspapers of the world,
0: can I just say? Yeah, these are, you know, have uncovered this. And, and you know, the guy claims to have interfered or intervened in 33 presidential elections and in the world.
1: successfully in 27 of them. Right, from Africa to Central America to Europe, he was bragging about campaigns he worked on in Greece. Absolutely. Now, the reason why I bring this up is obviously I talk about this stuff in my book Q and on and on, which is a book I'd love you all to read if you haven't read it already. That looks at the sophisticated engagement of commercial operatives in this space who are serving bad faith political interests and when i started getting really interested in this was in 2019 ben as a lot of people started contacting me during the federal election about the death tax labor's death tax labor's death tax labor's
0: death tax not a real thing
1: no it was never a real thing it was never labor policy but i remember getting some of this internet disinformation that was being shared around and looking at the actual figures on it, oh, it's going to be 40%. And I rem- I remembered it. I remembered it from somewhere and I did a bit of research. I'm rather good at research. <laughs> and found that the copy was taken word for word from a campaign that had been run in the United States associated with my friend and yours, Steve, oh, I am no. the most evil person on the earth. Bang. Bang. So Team Jorge has been running these campaigns as a professional service. You'll never believe one of the other companies that they've hooked up with in the past
0: to run with them. Would it be uh, Cambridge Analytica?
1: Yes, Ben, it would be Cambridge Analytica. Cambridge Analytica being the data and disinformation company run by – who runs Cambridge Analytica? Is
0: well, it your friend and mine, Steve Bannon? Why, yes, Ben. Yes. Well, they have a new CEO, according to the the latest, uh, latest information, a person by the name of Alexander Nix, who uh who declined to comment when asked about uh Team Hohe. Uh, but did say your purported understanding is disputed.
1: Oh, your purported understanding is disputed, is it? Well, I'm actually going to back the journalists from El Pais, Le Monde, The Guardian, and De Spiegel, the great newspapers of the world, on this one, especially because they have video of the guy. What is particularly disturbing? And emails. Oh, and emails, because Team Jorge, one of the services they offer, is that they will hack Gmails for you, and they will hack Telegram for you. In fact ho, 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 how funny is this? They demonstrate to these people who they think are going to be clients who are investigative journalists about how they hack Gmail and Telegram. And things that they've done have included uh, they particularly specialise in causing division and disquiet in the campaigns of a client's rivals. So say you're from a... Uh, a major political party in a Western democracy that's perhaps comprised of democratic socialists and social democrats. And you're running on quite a progressive economic platform to put before people in quite a contentious election against some, um, oh, I don't know, right-wing capitalist scumbags who are lifelong apologists for the banks, for example. And say you were a vested interest in the outcome of that election being maybe you know, capitalist pig scum to to win to serve your own interests. Things that that team Jorge do, for example, is they use you, innocent democratic, socialist, social democrat campaign aid, mm-hmm. use your account to get internal accounts, addresses, things like that. And they were bragging about sending sex toys to the yeah. rival, to the rivals of their clients um, in order to cause marital problems for candidates candidates with their partners thinking they were having affairs or were into sexual stuff that had been discussed in the context of their relationship, um, causing interpersonal issues between various staffing teams, lying, leaking, putting things out, seeding uh, stories leaked from hacked emails in mainstream publications, causing continual spot fires and you know, just for a and, dollar. And that's the thing.
0: When you say for a dollar, you know, you would think that this kind of thing would cost a fortune, right? And, and the, one of the quotes they gave to the investigative journalists, I think, I think possibly on the video was between sort of 6 million and 15 million euros. But then in the, in the, uh, emails that they've, the Guardian has got, It says that they only asked for $160,000 to be involved for eight weeks in a Latin American country. Uh, They asked for between $400,000 and $600,000 a month to disrupt an election in Kenya. I mean, you know, in the context of election campaigns where in the U.S., a U.S. presidential election campaign costs a billion dollars a side, You know, in Australia, we saw Clive Palmer drop $80 million in declared uh, expenditure just for the Palmer United Party. So when you're talking about those sort of tens of millions of dollars being spent, if you can disrupt your opponent's campaign for a couple of hundred thousand dollars, that is fundamentally going to appeal to the darker nature of some political operatives. And I have no doubt, and, and based on this story, Van, and based on the bragging of Team Jorge, clearly that's what some... People are doing.
1: Oh, Ben, I mean, there are scumbags known to you and I personally who I'm sure are reading this article going, I can't believe this guy got rumbled when he only cost $165,000. I could have had him on speed dial. Yeah. I mean, this is the dark reality of the world that we live in. Team Jorge hasn't just interfered with presidential elections and democratic Mm. cycles, they've also seeded fake protests in order to generate social media content. This is something you and I were talking about with, like, cookers. When you had cookers in America protesting Australian embassies because they'd seen on Facebook, what it was obviously true, that Australia had devolved to totalitarianism. I wrote a piece about this for the New York Times, and it was all complete nonsense. But Team Jorge has been encouraging these demonstrations to generate the social media content, to deploy people. They've been involved in spruking for nuclear power against community objections and using all of these fake accounts. Just
0: a reminder that as, as recently as last week, the Liberal Party of Australia was spruking nuclear power right here in Australia. We-
1: that Australians <laughs> do not want... I've been super clear about not wanting no Australians wanted. any Liberal Party or National Party politician who wants to sprout nuclear power has to personally show us where in their own electorate they intend to put the reactor. That is the condition. If you are not actually planning to build a reactor next to your most marginal swing <coughs> voters, I do not believe you are genuinely committed to it.
0: Yeah, and I mean, putting aside all the expense and the timelines and the cost overruns, nuclear power plants are, by the way, uh, a longitudinal study shows they are not only expensive, but they also are the most overrun and most over budget projects ever in the history of mankind
1: but maybe you've heard from tim Jorge's fake accounts online that nuclear energy is the way of the future and Low getting in the way it is absolutely extraordinary the the kind of yeah. campaigning that they've been doing and sometimes on extremely micro levels and if you encountered these profiles online you would see you know they they take but they, The journalists exposed that Tim Jorge were taking real people's photos, real people's photos archives, and just redeploying them to these fake people who they had created. And it, because of the work that's gone into creating these profiles, they're not just single-issue psychopaths writing about, I love nuclear power, mm, mm. Uh, I nuclearpower.com. People
0: you could sort of obviously block.
1: Pe- yeah, people who you would obviously block, but people who also talk about accounts, that talk about Taylor Swift and talk about, you know, their mom and whatever, yeah. and it's all completely fake. And just by deploying these 30,000 accounts that they've created, they can sow stories, kick off, you know, fake protests and the rest of it. And I'm mentioning this because I desperately, desperately, the thing that I learned when I wrote my book was these campaigns, like the the risk of the internet that makes these campaigns work is people believe things not because they are true but because they want them to be true. And it's really interesting. There was a disinformation campaign that was running this week that was an anti-Ukrainian story. And I saw people on the left who should know better Who should be absolute champions of the, like, of Ukrainian resistance to Russian authoritarianism, sharing it and believing it. As if, you know, Russia yeah. was still the Soviet Union and we are all in some kind of Cold War fantasy yeah. of communism, which, by the way, in the Soviet Union did not work. Yeah. Did not work, guys. And if we don't accept that, we're not learning anything. Yeah.
0: 1919, it, it, it's
1: not 1919 anymore. It's not 1919 Comrades, anymore. Yeah. Not. Mayakovsky is long dead. Yeah. The dream is over. Yeah. Like,
0: let's have a new dream. Let's, yeah, let's, let's have a new a dream. New yeah, let's
1: try. Let's try a socialism that works. Yeah. Like, you know, Norway, much better than the Soviet Union. Absolutely. Anyway. Can vouch. Can, yeah, you lived there. Yeah. It was good, right? Yeah, good if great. you spoke Norwegian, I reckon you never would have come back. Well, then I never would have met you. Yeah. Yeah, that would have That's been. Awesome monolingualism yeah. from being there. However, where we're at, though, is that you. I see these things take place and I have to check my own behaviour on the internet yeah. because there are things I, with my you know, like steadfast ideological resolve yeah. want to be true, that you have to, have to engage the facts of something. You trust the big mastheads: The Guardian, Le Monde, El Pais and Spiegel are publications that relentlessly get it right. Yeah. And when they don't get it right, they account for it, they apologise for it, they publicise it. You know, these are there's no
0: little box like on the Australian that says, yeah. oh, the press council says that we made a mistake. If we made a mistake, we apologize to those people who think we made a mistake. Yeah, there's there's none of that. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um and I mean, and this is the thing, like it's really important that we invest in big media. And I and and big honourable media, yeah. like those mastheads I have mentioned. And I mentioned this in the context of the other disinformation story this week is my friend and yours, not Steve Bannon, but Elon Musk. Oh, what a gallery of chums we have. Elon Musk, this is an amazing story that has been leaked from someone very senior who remains at Twitter, a place where a $44 billion company, apparently, where everybody who actually does the work wants to leave. That Elon Musk demanded, it like, called this meeting of engineers into his office, and the last two remaining principal engineers yeah. at um, at Twitter were asked why his engagement, why people weren't engaging with his Twitter account so much. And one of these engineers, one of these, this whoever this was, needs a medal, right? And we because
0: should, we should point out that a lot of the people who are still at Twitter, it has been pointed out many, many times. Uh, there because their visa conditions are tied to their employment. Yeah, well. they're
1: international workers, and if they leave, they will lose their right of. The and, and I just
0: want to give a shout out uh, to the many migrant workers in this country in Australia who are campaigning to change those arrangements here in Australia, because we there are still there are still some visa categories in Australia. Where your, your entitlement to be in the country is tied to a single employer. And we know what happens there. Mm -hmm. You get called into a meeting with Elon Musk at 2 a.m. to explain why he's not getting more likes on his tweets.
1: This is exactly what was happening. And he wanted to know why he wasn't getting more likes on his tweets. Can you imagine? He's supposed to be an adult, not a 14 year old (laughs) boy. And one of these engineers went, look, people, look, man, you know, people are just losing interest in you like people are kind of over you, and showed him like a Google graph of engagement around his name and was like, you're not getting as many tweets as you used to because people just don't like you as much. Yeah. Probably because you've been more public since you bought Twitter and all these things have gone wrong and you fired all these people and whatever. And he's installed
0: beds. Again, migrant workers are, are often exploited in terms of their accommodation. He has literally put beds in the Twitter office.
1: In the Twitter office where they're in default of the rent, I should point out. Uh, yeah, the landlord is trying to get the rent back. The first time in my life, I've been like, "Yay, landlord!" Trying to get the rent off Elon Musk. It gets better. They make the staff pay to use the beds in the office. Well,
0: that you know, th- this is just this is just reminding me of all those stories of of uh, uh, agricultural workers who have to pay those high rents, mm-hmm. live in overcrowded accommodation. You know, remember when tech was going to free people? Yeah, no. That was never going to
1: happen. No. If it's a capitalist enterprise, like I said, capitalism has no morality until the people through government impose it. It has no morality. Elon Musk, case in point. And
0: and unions to enforce it too. There is no union at Twitter. uh, No,
1: no. He's a a union buster. He's proud of being a union buster, Elon Musk, because he is an absolutely foul moral vacuum of of just worthless humanity. No, no. I want to finish this story because this is great and it links up to what we were talking about. So, so this engineer points out, you know, people just yeah, aren't, just aren't that into you. He fires the engineer on the spot. Of course he does. He fires him, just fires him outright, leaving one principal engineer at Twitter, and demands th- that all of Twitter gets overhauled. Because what's happened is I have blocked Elon Musk yeah. on Twitter. I'm not interested in anything that jerk has to say. And I mean, I am sort of interested in watching him be consumed by his own vanity, but that will be reported by credible journalists. Yeah. I don't need to hear it from the man himself. And um and this whole thing uh, is because he had declining engagement because people aren't that into him and because so many people like myself have blocked him the twitter algorithm had dropped him like because the proportion of uh, the proportion yeah. of people blocking him so he has rigid twitter like demand this error be fixed so his tweets will always be prioritized so if you haven't blocked him yet Block him now. But I mentioned this in the context of Elon Musk, the free speech warrior, who bans Mm. people he doesn't like Mm. and has shared disinformation, like the campaign against Nancy Pelosi's husband. Um, Nancy Pelosi's husband was attacked by a cooker in his home, attacked with a hammer. There is video from police body cams that shows you very clearly what's happened. And Elon Musk repeated a far-right internet rumour that Paul Pelosi was in a love quarrel with this. Like, it is complete nonsense, factually disproved. But Elon Musk's whole thing was, oh, the bird is freed and free speech and nobody trusts mass media anymore. Guess who Elon Musk was sitting next to
0: at the Super Bowl? I know this. I know this because I tweeted about this. I bet you did. It was Rupert Murdoch. It
1: was Rupert Murdoch. Now, if you're going to mount a a criticism of the mainstream
0: media, which is entirely (laughs) valid, you tend to start at Rupert Murdoch. But can I just also say, if you've spent $44 billion on Twitter – and you're going to spend time with someone, uh, Rupert Murdoch, you know, spent what 850 million dollars buying MySpace <laughs> and then had to sell it for 30 million dollars. It's still funny. I mean, it's just the photo of the two of them together just it just screams burning cash, burning cash earning cash and can we install a puppet government in the form of Boris Johnson or Scott Morrison?
1: Well, look, this is the thing and this is the relationship between the Team Jorge... And Twitter stories yeah. is that these platforms are powerful and influential. Yeah. And they do affect people's voting behavior, their political beliefs, their sense of reality. Yeah. And in the case of Twitter, it is owned and run by an egomaniac yeah. who is an absolutely preposterous
0: jerk. And, it, and and it is it's so important to understand that in the context of democracy. And, and what we were talking about before, right, around ideology, like the, these guys do have an ideology. Elon Musk is not some kind of, you know, philosophical free spirit. He is an absolute capitalist cliche. He is a capitalist cliche to the point where the worst behaviours that we see in the agriculture sector is replicating in the San Francisco offices of Twitter. Uh-huh. Like this is... You know, you need to be a member of your union, people. I cannot stress this more. Oh, you really do. And you need to be actively participating in democracy because democracy is so fragile. We haven't had democracy that long. You know, I think sometimes... We forget. We do, Because we
1: were born into democracy. We don't realise...
0: And our parents were born into it. Yeah,
1: yeah, but not everywhere. I mean, so many families came to Australia because where they came from... Democracy either hadn't been instituted or had been failed and uh, had failed and been overrun. Wasn't
0: being run by Brezhnev. <laughs>
1: yeah, well, Brezhnev. That's not democracy. Here's a word to all the tankies out there: the Soviet Union, spoiler, was not democratic. Yeah, not a fun place. Yeah, not free are not empowering, quite authoritarian and hierarchical. North
0: Korea is not a republic. No,
1: <laughs> and as somebody who's been to North Korea, can I just say you do not
0: want to live there? And and the reality of this is that when Rupert Murdoch and Elon Musk exercise power through the media and Tim Jorge manipulate the media and manipulate the, the platforms in order to make that power even more insidious at the same time as our institutions uh, are actually force feeding us an ideological position around whether it's interest rates or bank profits or why low wages are good is that it does it does shake people's belief in democracy and we shouldn't
1: and they that's what they want absolutely they absolutely because democracy is the only limit that these people and their interests will ever, ever understand. And that's why they're fundamentally vested in destroying it. Yeah. You know, like Rupert Murdoch was obliged to front an inquiry about the nefarious practices of his corporation that involved, let's just repeat, hacking the mobile phones of murdered teenagers. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, these inquiries impose limits on the behaviours of his corporation. He has railed against this stuff for his entire professional commercial life. You know, this is why there was always this obligation that anyone who wanted to be Prime Minister in this country had to go and bend the knee to Rupert and essentially ensure that his capital interest would never be threatened by anything as meaningless as the will of the people. But it's also
0: why I think organising ourselves as people through unions, through community groups, as communities of people of shared interest, you know, I always like to stress the point that we are the Commonwealth of Australia. We are not the the medocracy of Australia. We are not the Philip Lowe duchy of Australia. We are the Commonwealth of Australia. And that implies that we will, in common, grow the wealth together. If we don't all act together, if we don't actually say, no, you know what, I'm not going to buy the Herald Sun, I'm not gonna watch Fox News. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna have. You know. I'm not gonna believe the nonsense. Some
1: person on the internet who I don't know personally, an account that because they like a few Taylor Swift songs, it comes across as a human being. I mean, this is really, really important. Like, what can we do to safeguard democracy? One, join a union. Of course, you should yeah. join a union. It's in your individual interest. Yeah, it's obviously a tax deduction, but it's also in your collective interest because it creates a mass institution that can resist capitalism and resist the depredations of capitalism and government and authority and all of those things. You know, we there's a reason why fascists always attack trade unions first. So the first thing the Nazis did was shut down the trade unions in Germany in 1933 because they knew that the trade union movement had the capacity to divert their agenda.
0: And, and I have to say, you know, sometimes we see online people go, oh, you know, trade unions aren't perfect, and I had this negative experience with the trade union. And and look, yeah, trade unions are not perfect, right? But I have to say that the worst behaviour of a trade union that I've seen does not compare <laughs> to the worst behaviour of corporate capitalist scumbags that I've seen. No. You know, and it, 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 and it just isn't even on the same scale, right? So, yeah, sure.
1: You know how you make unions didn't return better? my phone call within 24 hours compared to responsible for slavery. is it, That's not morally equivalent?
0: No, I it's mean, not. I
1: mean, I don't want to be anybody's priest here, and if you want but un- that's not morally equivalent.
0: And if you want unions to be better, get involved. Join your union, australianunions.org.au And if you want democracy to be better, get involved. You know, Philip Lowe says more of us need to be unemployed. We need to have lower wages.
1: Yeah, we need more unemployment because that works out great for all the people who are unemployed and the people who are terrified of being, oh, no, it doesn't work out great. Actually, it's awful. And it creates a psychological condition called hysteresis amongst the unemployed where they begin to believe in internalised feelings of worthlessness and almost become physically static as a result. And I can talk about this because it happened to me when I was unemployed as a young person and was on the Dolan Wollongong with no employment prospects whatsoever, literally saved by miracles.
0: So, look... There's a lot of stuff that Is we've hilarious. just gone in there. You know, the economy, democracy, bad faith actors in our political system.
1: Don't believe what you read on the internet.
0: Subscribe to a quality news publication. <laughs> and, of course, listen to The Week on Wednesday where we will always tell you the truth. Uh, and then, of course, the involvement of billionaires. There's a lot of stuff to unpack there. And, you know, we will talk more about these issues, I'm sure, in the year at the Adelaide French Festival.
1: Yes, on the 22nd, 1st, 8th and 15th.
0: That's right, over the course of the next four weeks. But before we do that, Van, we're also going to talk about some good news.
1: Oh, yeah, it's about grass.
0: Good news about grass. This is rad. This is the grass you grow in, in your lawn, right? Well, this is is, right? Well,
1: I mean, grass takes many forms. Sure. Rad. You sure. Know, we are a world of grasses. Sure. But it, uh, we were talking about price gouging and yep. one of the indications of price gouging was the price of lumber. So during the pandemic, a lot of middle-class people trapped at home going, oh, I really want a new kitchen, need wood to do that, and price gouging took place when people were like, well, you want some
0: wood, do you? And, of course, if you want to build social housing or affordable housing, you're going to need lumber too. You're going to need
1: wood. So there's been this lumber shortage throughout the world because demand has outstripped supply. Now, some very canny people in the United States um, actually, this is literally hilarious, mm. some of them are former SpaceX engineers, people who don't work for Elon Musk anymore, Yeah, have been playing around with new technologies with uh, moulding and laminating, and they're able to make equivalent wood products out of grass. That's fantastic news. Oh, it's great because the greenhouse impacts are better. Yep. Um, and the wood is also lighter and more durable. And it's faster to produce. So rather than cutting down forests and, you know, which take decades to replace Mm, and concentrate, mm, blah, 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 if you use grass, well, grass grows pretty quickly. Much, much quicker. And you can get the same product, meaning you can leave the forest alone. Look,
0: I think that's unequivocally good news. I think that's a whole new industry and new jobs that could be uh, made available. The
1: future is grass. (laughs) (laughs)
0: uh look that's i think that's really great news
1: it is great news isn't it i was very happy with that one yeah now of course van i cry when somebody cuts a tree down (laughs) he can vouch
0: look we should uh, we should absolutely be celebrating the good news about grass and of course i think van you know we've covered a lot very very quickly today but there's so much going on of course People can hear more on Sunday with our weekend wrap, which I will do very quickly because uh, it will be the end of the two weeks of parliamentary sitting, the first two weeks of parliamentary sitting for 2023. I'll give you a full wrap-up there. And, of course, the week on Wednesday, you know, we do this <laughs> We do this basically on the smell of an oily rag. You can probably tell by the sound quality, but we do it. Partly because people share the podcast. They talk about it with their friends. They get more people to listen. You know, they the, come to
1: our events, they come
0: to our events,
1: meet other people who share their values and interests.
0: And of course, this week we actually outperformed the Rupert Murdoch owned the Australians flagship podcast. And we're only able to do that because of the support of people who do all those things, but also people who do make a financial contribution. They go to buymeacoffee.com. Slash week on Wednesday. And they might give a one off uh, contribution. They might give a buck a week. They might give 10 bucks a month or 20 bucks a month. And our 20 buck a month contributors are our cadre and our 10 buck a month contributors are our extended Rich supporters. And those people, we absolutely pour every dollar back into growing the audience. Fundamentally, that's where your money is going. And you can see that in the numbers that we get on our charts. And Van, you'd like to give a shout out every episode to our cadre and our Extend the Reach. Have you got your list?
1: I know everybody loves this. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> I'd like to acknowledge Claire, Steph, Karina, Barley, Jancy, Campbell, Leona Gibbons, Jason Dallas, Camille, Akivra Burris, Kristen Siklurna, Gabe Kramer, Stephen Aiken, Trish, Corey Greene, Miller, Kathy Birch, Fiona McNeil, Evergreen Beast, Giordi, Chikani, Kristen Cole, Justin Dando, Tamara James, Bronwyn, Punch Veteran, at Jenny Forster 7, Joe Fleming, Andrew Pascoe, Cassandra Tui, Addison Official, Ian Hampson, No Twitter for me, Hanny Honda, Sam Harriet, Matt Bush, no relation, Bridget Sands, I'm not on Twitter, Glenn Robbie, Brush Daniels, Kylie Phillips, Lydia Cartwright, at Leanne Shingles, Don Chapman, I don't have Twitter, my name is Susan Myers, at Carrie Nash, Billy through McCabe, Nerissa Simon, Pat Cadigal, Lauren Ashen Banjo, Matthew Hadley, Narunga Men, Jane Wolfsville, John Sharpen, Peter Barth, Aaron Rollins, and Louise Watson, Ad White and Blue Lou. And I'd like to do a shout out to Lauren Matthews, who's one of our supporters who has a fantastic exhibition in Ballarat at the Arts Base on Lydiard Street, Ben and I went the other night. Um, it is absolutely fabulous. Oh, we also want to acknowledge Anthony Bailden, who's one of our new supporters as well, just not on the list in front of me, been doing a bit of slide of hand with his own phone there. But um, uh, Lauren's exhibition is called One Person's Trash, and it's just fabulous. Okay, Extend the Reach supporters. Helen, Damien Marley, Michelle Norton, Rodney Slap, Cameron the Trial Dragon, Daniel, Ad Crazy, Keza, John DeHaan, Ange Fennel, Anna Uren, Canada 888 Kathy Burgess, Kristen Black, Melanie Dinning, A. Not on Twitter, Penelope Judge, Shane Holloway, Spirit of Anger and Hope, Ad K Not Love Your Work, Ad Didham, Sharon, Beck and Lola, Richard Gover, Someone, Peter W, Tanya, George, Nandita Hannah Moore, Louise Hawker, Megan Wicker, Graham Moxley, Beck Cody, Tracy Lucas, Sandy Honan, Ad Galvest, Greg Martin, Trainer Amy Forsett, Not on Twitter, Sarah Elian, and Andrew, Ibis Billet, Andrew Bryan, Peter O.C., Linda Sam, Twitter all, Bunkin Bash at at the Real Level body, Sandy Bombgard, Adnod, Sandy B, Renee McGee, Stuart Mann, Marky Mark at the Beat Game Bit, Adrian Valente, Maritza at Carrie 68 Frank Newers, Erica Pizzudi, Donald Vaughan, Joe Lupina, Rachel Fitzpatrick, Kerry Arthur, and Pauline Bates.
0: You are all such an important part of the week on Wednesday community. And of course, we appreciate that not everyone can afford to make a contribution. For those who do, we absolutely appreciate it. And congratulations on helping grow this podcast to be such a success fundamentally we never thought we'd get anywhere near the number of downloads we do we are out there and we will be in Adelaide next week the week after the week after and the week after if you're in Adelaide come along if you're not in Adelaide come along anyway Get on a plane, get in your car.
1: Yeah, because WOMAD's on and the rest of the Fringe and the Adelaide International Festival and all kinds of stuff. And,
0: of course, you and I will be attending the launch of the Yes to the Voice campaign. We
1: are fervent voice supporters. And it's
0: an honour to be able to go, an absolute privilege. Of course, a huge amount of support from us towards that campaign.
1: And for those of you who didn't hear our week on Wednesday last week where we talked through uh, Lydia Thorpe, Leaving the Greens, it's been a very popular episode in terms of people getting their heads around the voice and the various politics that are being engaged in the voice discourse. So do give that a
0: listen. Absolutely. And, of course, uh, on Sunday I'll give that weekend rap that I mentioned earlier.
1: So every time he says weekend rap, I'm just
0: like... Yeah. You want to beatbox. (laughs) I do. I do want to beatbox, but I can't because I'm a middle-aged white girl. So until Sunday, love you, Vanny. I love you too. Bye. Bye.